Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Oh, <laughs> how's everyone doing this morning? Wasn't worship amazing? They're, they're incredible. We're very blessed to have an incredible worship team. Uh, I Man, I, I'm... I'm I'm deep into the day. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, the men's team was out camping. I've been up in the woods since Thursday, so I'm just all kinds of gross. I need to apologize just in general. Uh, just been deep in the woods with a bunch of dudes, so we probably all smell, except for those men who are blessed to go home and take a shower. God bless you. Thank you for blessing the aroma that we're lifting up to the Lord this morning. Uh, but just excited what God is doing. I saw some of y'all like walk in, some of you guys from the, from the men's trip walk in with a little bit of a limp. Uh, it was amazing watching. Uh, we, we had Mike Myers playing some great games, and we used battle ropes as tug of war, and that was great. Uh, I got to say, watching a bunch of grown men play tug of war was amazing, and uh, some, of, some, some of you guys, I saw it take a toll, but it, it's good, right? I mean, if you go out of the woods with a bunch of dudes, you should probably, I don't know, compete in some way, uh, and it, it was a blast, so thanks, Mike, killed it. Uh, it, was, it was fun to get away and just, just believe God and pray with one another and eat some, eat some good food and be out in the woods, and uh, just really thankful for the great men's leadership team we have at this church investing in the men, and I encourage you, uh, they're, they're doing events like all the time, and there's lots of different purposes for, for different events and different different times, but I encourage you, please engage and be a part of it. If you're like, I didn't know uh, that there was a thing happening, I really want to encourage you to make sure you have your connection card filled out, that we have your email so we can send you, because it does go out in the email constantly. I want to make sure you're getting that, and uh, you know what's coming up, because it's a blast. It's a blast to be a part of it, and I believe God's doing big things, and as uh, so I got up with a couple of our guys to come back and lead worship, we woke up at 4 30 and we just drove down here straight down well, we stopped at Starbucks and then we got here uh, because we were hurting uh, tough and but we got the Starbucks we got here they did amazing they're just leading worship I love it it's fantastic um, but I, I'm excited to share with you guys today as we finish up our so much more series and if you've been with us we've been talking about so much more for your identity so much for, more for your marriage so much more for your family and today I want to talk about so much more for your future Future. So much more for your future. Did any of you, did you guys ever watch the show The Jetsons? Anybody watch The Jetsons? I loved that show as a kid. Uh, it, was, it was always on, uh, and, and it was like that or The Flintstones. And I don't know if they're set at similar times, but I have a theory because, it, because The Jetsons was set in the future, 2062. So we only have 40 years, guys, to get to Jetsons world. That's space, flying cars, I mean, uh, robot helpers. Actually, all of this sounds pretty doable now that I think about it. Um, I have a theory that the Flintstones was set at the same time as the Jetsons. That's just what the Earth looks like in 2062. A little bit prehistoric Stone Age. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But I remember watching the Jetsons as a kid and just like being excited about the future. Remember when you were a kid, like the movies, everything made the future exciting. Now every, mo uh, every movie about the future is mad depressing. It's like post-apocalyptic. They wind through the streets full of zombie 
cannibal. Well, I guess a zombie is a cannibal, so yeah, same difference, right? But I remember thinking like, oh, man, it's great. He's going to go back to the future, and he's got the hoverboard, right? And he's going to be flying around. It's going to be amazing. He's going to make a couple sports bets, make some million dollars, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? If you've seen the movies. And I remember thinking, man, the future's so bright. And I remember as a kid, like, I don't know, I just remember with my friends, like, dreaming for the future and thinking about what was possible and what we could become and what we could do. And what, what I found interesting lately, I don't know if it's just post-COVID or what, but I feel like as a generation, and by generation I mean people alive right now, so if you're here, you're alive, congratulations. If you're online, probably, good chance, 99%, you're still alive. Uh... But you're part of this generation. What I'm noticing in this generation, this time and period in history, is that people are not that excited about the future. In fact, I would say the opposite's true. When you talk to people, have you noticed people are kind of pessimistic about the future? There's this phrase called anticipatory anxiety. I was reading this Psychology Today thing. It was talking about anticipatory anxiety. It's where people are living in fear of what's to come. Like, they're not excited about what's coming. They're anxious about what's around the corner. It's not like, what's possible? It's like, oh, what's possible? <laughs> so many people are living with this. In fact, I'm going to go as far to say, I think it's actually in vogue to be pessimistic. It's like culturally relevant these days to be anxious, to be worried, to be pessimistic. Like people build like entire social media personas off of this kind of like worry, doom and gloom. Like there is like entire comedy movies based around being this kind of person. Like I honestly think that I could, because I know how to do graphic design, like design like a whole persona of like all of this kind of like pessimistic, snarky, not believing. Basically everyone I grew up within Seattle. Right? <laughs> it's just this mentality of like, you, get, you, you can't even let someone else get excited because like, well, you know, what if it fails? Right? It's, it's become culturally, and what I find fascinating is that culture of pessimism and anxiety about the future has crept into Christianity. And a weird, weird problem's happening, Christians, is that we tell people that we are, we are professing hope, and yet when they see us, when they see our social media, when they see us at work, oftentimes they're not seeing the hope. They're seeing anticipatory anxiety. They're seeing a fear. But what are we afraid of? Why are we afraid? Since we don't know what's to come, why are we afraid? What's informing our fear, our anxiety of the future? For many of us, it's failure. For many of us, there's a past shame and a fear of future failure that is informing the way we live our life. But I want to encourage you today. You know what one of my favorite things about Jesus Christ is? And we say it here all the time. But through Jesus Christ, there is hope for every future and healing for every past. This is the amazing thing about Jesus Christ. And we're going to read here in a second in John 21. The amazing thing about Jesus Christ is regardless of how you feel about the future in this moment, through him there is hope for every future, and there is healing for every past. Let me pray for you, and we're going to jump into Scripture today. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive, that it's speaking to us today, and I pray, God, even right now, that you would begin to renew hearts and encourage spirits. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you brought your Bible which I recommend. Open to John chapter 21. 
If you didn't bring your Bible, don't stress. The words will be on the screen. But John chapter 21, and we're just kind of going to go through this verse by verse because it's a powerful chunk of Scripture here. It says in verse 1, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again. After what? Well, this Scripture is after Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again to new life, inviting us into the resurrection and life. And this is after he then went and revealed himself to the disciples for the first time. So this, it says, he's revealing himself again to a specific group of people for a specific purpose. Here's verse 2. It says, Simon Peter. Someone say Peter. Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other of his disciples were together. It says in verse 3 that Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. It's such a an interesting moment. That first person that you hear, Simon Peter, is actually the focus of this revelation. Why? Like, wh why is Peter the focus? He's already seen Jesus. Because we're told in Scripture that Jesus is appearing to him again. Why again? Why is it important this interaction we're going to see really unfold, though other people are there, between Peter and between Jesus? It's because of this. Peter had already seen Christ, which probably should have been encouraging, except Peter was still living with shame. He had seen Christ, but he was still living with shame. Let me explain. Peter was one of the most devoted disciples. Peter was that guy. Peter was all-in intensity guy, to the point that Peter one time told Jesus, he says, I don't know about these other nerds, but I'll die for you if anything comes up. And Jesus was like, whoa, <laughs> I want to give you a heads up here, Peter. First of all, a little mean-spirited to everybody except Judas, I guess. But I want to give you a heads up that though you are very gung-ho about what you think you're going to do, you're actually going to deny me. To which Peter was like, not a chance, man. I'm all in. I'll cut someone's ear off just to prove it. Jesus says, no, Peter, actually, you're going to deny me three times. And so the night that Jesus is arrested to be crucified, Peter gets his big chance. He gets his big chance. Okay, Peter, he said, I'll go wherever. I'll go to death with you. It's really easy to talk big, huh? I mean, none of us have ever done this, but we might know somebody, right, that has, has spoken and talked a big game. But when that moment came, maybe you were like, yeah, man, I'll be there. And then you're like, you know, then they ghost you. I mean, we would never do that, but, you know, pagans. <laughs> so in that moment that he is, can stand up for Jesus, what does he do? He denies him. And like, not like in court, like to like a little girl around a campfire, right? Now, I, I get it. He's terrified. I understand. But there is something strongly contrasting about this guy. He's like, I would die for you. And then like a small child is like, hey, are you with him? And he's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Get away from me. Right? 
And so Peter has his big moment and blows it. I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like you've messed something up so bad that nothing can fix it? If you've ever felt that way, then you know how Peter feels to some extent in this moment. And just think, if you can, if you can even kind of, if we can get there mentally, think of the devastation of Peter when he sees Christ executed, knowing that he blew it. But there's another moment that I think about, is the moment where Jesus came back <laughs> and revealed himself to Peter. And Peter was excited to see Jesus, but also maybe feeling a little ashamed for denying him. That's a mix. Excitement, excited that there's salvation, but ashamed of what he's done in the past. Ashamed of what choices he had made. And though we don't know, we, we, we get this sense from reading Scripture and this tone from reading Scripture that Peter is not approaching uh, the call that God has put on life, his life with a sense of boldness anymore. Peter was likely ashamed, probably wondered, how could God ever use me? I'm a failure. And so in verse 3, it says, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And now this isn't necessarily related or unrelated to uh, his choice, but it's an interesting moment because Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, fishing was his earthly inheritance, and fishing was a good job. Scripture's not mocking fishing. Being a fisherman was a good job. It paid well. It still does in some ways. But it was a good gig. And so he says, listen, I'm, I'm going to go back and I'm going to fish. And I wonder if there's just a little bit of him that said like, well, I kind of failed at being a follower of Jesus. I'll go back to the thing that I'm good at, which is fishing. And the only reason I bring that up is that often in my own life, I feel like when I fail at the thing God has called me to do, I go back to the things I feel comfortable doing, good or bad, right? When I, when I feel like, listen, I know God has called me to step out, but I feel like I've failed, so I'm going to go back to the things that make me feel comfortable and safe. And it says they went out, and it says they caught nothing. Well, that had to be a little discouraging, right? It's like, well, I'm going to go back to the thing I'm good at. Didn't catch anything. Uh, we went fishing this week uh, up, up north with the men, and uh, I was excited to catch some fish, and I was disappointed at the return on that thought uh, because I caught, like, three of the smallest fish I've ever caught, and I feel like I hiked, like, six hours to catch these tiny fish. I mean, I didn't keep them or anything. Just back in the river you went. Uh, and, you know, as men, we tried, you know, we're trying to have a good time at the camping trip, right? So we have to play it off like we're not upset we didn't catch any fish, but in our spirit— we actually are upset that we didn't catch fish. So we say we're not upset because it's a Christian camping experience and we can't just you know, stand there and swear at the river or whatever we feel like doing. Uh, but we are upset. And I imagine Peter was upset because it's the thing that he thought he was good at, right? And so there's this disappointing kind of pinnacle in this moment because they caught nothing. And I wonder if he thinks like, I can't even catch a break. Now I'm bad at fishing. But I, I think about this, that once you experience the call of Christ on your life, nothing else is, else is going to satisfy like that. Once you experience Jesus Christ, the old things just don't satisfy like they used to. And so here's what happens. Verse 4. You still with me? Amen? Amen. amen okay. It says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any faith? Or do you have any fish? Do you have any faith? Well, that's a different one. Children, do you have any fish? It says, they answered him, no. 
He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because the quantity of fish. This is a teaching moment, right? The disciples were called to be something specific. Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to bring in a great harvest if you would cast your nets where I direct and I guide. Peter was called to be the rock, to be a leader, and yet Peter was overwhelmed with shame. And this interaction is Jesus teaching Peter. And he's beginning, even in this interaction, to teach him and say, listen, you can trust me. You can trust me to provide. When I say it will happen, it will happen. I am trustworthy. My direction is good. My leading is good. My word is good. Listen, Peter, I called you to bring in a great harvest. I called you to bring in an amazing harvest. And what I love about Jesus is that he loves Peter too much to let Peter resign his future due to his past failures. So much of our fear for the future is based off our past failures. It's fascinating when I talk to my kids about the future, because my kids are not afraid of the future. No one has told them yet that they need to be afraid of the future, and if you interact with my kids, please do not tell them, or else we're gonna have a talk about your future, right? <laughs> but they're excited, right? Why? Because they really like haven't, fa I mean, they're toddlers, right? They haven't like failed at anything, right? It's exciting, it's encouraging, right? Anything can happen when you're a kid. Right? You haven't really, like, been beat down by the world, right? But for many of us, we are, we're afraid of the future. Because our failures have influenced our perspective on what's to come. We think, what if I mess up? You ever thought that? What if I blow it? What if I can't do it? What if whatever is coming up, I just don't have enough for? I don't have enough to face it. What if it doesn't work out? What if at the end of the day, I just can't handle it? I don't have what's necessary. What if I miss the mark in some way? But Jesus is teaching, and the Word of God is teaching, that when the nets go out by man's wisdom, it's very likely they're going to return empty. But when the nets go out with God's direction, they will return full. That God always has a return on his command, on his investment. When they go out with his power, they return full. I love that the word of God tells a constant story, and it's this. Man is not enough, but through God, all things are possible. Right? You're like, I don't feel like I'm enough. Yeah. Yeah. But through God, all things are possible. And so Jesus begins to teach. What is he teaching? He's teaching a couple things. If you're taking notes, write this down. Your past is healed by God's mercy. This is, this is the primary. This is the first one. It's so important. Your past is healed by God's mercy. Did you know that our God is the God of redemption? Nothing is beyond God's redemptive power. No one is beyond redeeming. No one is beyond restoring. There is no life that he cannot raise. He said, but I've messed up so much. I'm so anxious. I'm so broken. I'm so messy. Here's what's so beautiful. Your future is built on the redemptive love of Jesus Christ, not your earthly resume. 
Your future does not rest on your resume or some kind of report card that you've kept marks and tallies. Your future is not based on your marks. It is based on the marks and the hands and feet of Jesus Christ that has spoken over your life and redeemed you. It's not the past failures. Peter failed big time, right? But here's Jesus calling him saying, I'm still for you. You've received my grace and mercy. Don't go back to the old. Step into the new. God is calling to you today. And we're told in Scripture that if anyone is in Jesus Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. This is the beauty. Jesus is not an addition to your life. He says, come to me, surrender to me, and I will take your old self that will die on the cross, and you will be given new life through my resurrection. So the old is gone. Your past, the suffering, the shame, the frustration, the titles, the the monikers that you might bear from that, they are healed and released. God turns them into a testimony of his redemptive love and mercy. Your past is healed. Peter, you're healed. It says in verse 7. You still with me? Okay, good, good. It says, verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And I love this part. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Says the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So they're about a hundred, three hundred feet, right? Hundred yards off from the shore. Peter sees that it's God, realizes mostly naked, puts his clothes on, and it doesn't say like casually dove in. It says he threw himself into the sea. That is the dramatic nature of Peter on full display right there, right? He's like just just all in, right? Like what does that mean? What does that mean, you know, in, in other languages? It means he threw himself in, right? He fully committed. What I love is that we know that there's a net so big they can't pull it in, and he's like, sorry guys, gotta go, and just straight in, right? Left him. Left him with the boat. He was so committed. But there's some fervor that stirs up that I pray would stir up in our church this morning. There's a fire that I pray would stir up in your heart that you came just to check a box this Sunday morning because you like to go to church, but God wants to stir a hunger in your spirit because an encounter with Jesus Christ changes everything. And some of you just spiritually need to throw yourself into the sea so you can just dive into what God has for you and stop holding yourself back and defining yourself and trying to prove that you're super put together. No one cares that you're put together dive into God's promise for your life, have an encounter with him, be transformed, be renewed by him. Amen, baby. I lo- I lo- man, isn't it amazing all these amazing babies? I wasn't saying you had to leave. Leave her in here and say, she's, she's the most responsive, per- he's the most responsive person in the whole service right now. <laughs> the most amens. I didn't see who that was. Was that Stephanie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Your, your kids are amazing. Oh, man. Verse 9. When they got to land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. I love that. He goes back. He's like, oh, yeah, that's right. All of my friends are suffering under the weight. And then by some mega feet of strength, he lifts it. Was Peter more shredded than we think? I don't know. Power of God. Who knows? I don't know. (laughs) 
It's for somebody smarter than me. Full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. I love that. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. It says, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I love this about Jesus, is that Jesus is taking care of his disciples. Did you know that Jesus takes care of those who follow him? And he's nourishing them. He's not just some floating in the sky being. This is Jesus Christ who walked, who lived, who died, who rose again, who loves, who cares, who nourishes, who cooks food for his friends. The God who created the universe decided to cook fish for breakfast. That's just the kind of sense of humor I love, that he sits down with his friends <laughs> He cooks fish at 7 o'clock in the morning. But he loved them. He cared for them. And it's an interesting meal because you have this tension where you have Peter sitting with Jesus. Peter, who has denied his Savior. Peter, who is now having an intimate moment with the Savior that he denied. And I wonder if Peter is thinking, Jesus knows, right? Like he knows that I denied him. He must know because he told me I was going to do it. And he rose from the dead, so it turns out he was actually God. So he probably knows, and he knows I know. But, I, that, you know, had they talked about it yet? Doubtful, given what happens next. So there's just a tension. And then finally in verse 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. I love this moment. Okay. You guys, you'll, you'll be the disciples for the sake of this. Just imagine for a second. We're having breakfast, and I just say, do you love me more than them? That's a weird moment, right? <laughs> like, if you're the other disciples. Like, hey, you love me more than these people do, correct? That seems odd. Except when you understand the, the, the nature of Peter. Because Peter had very boldly proclaimed, I love you more than anybody. I'm all in for you. See, there was a fire and a passion in Peter for the Lord. The problem was that his shame from failure had stolen that fire. And God is speaking. Jesus Christ is speaking to Peter saying, do you love me like you loved me. Do you have a fire, a passion for me like you did before? Do you still love me? Do you notice the first thing Jesus asked him? Do you love me? Hear me. If you're writing notes, I just want you to write this down. Your future is secured in the love of Jesus. Your future is secured in the love of Jesus. Why? Because that's where new life is. It's in the salvation. It's in the redemptive love of Jesus. That's an important first question. Jesus does not start with, what will, you know, I got the crew here. What will you do for me, Peter? What will you do for me? How will you earn your way back into my graces, Peter? How will you prove that I should trust you again? I mean, you kind of burned me at a key moment in my life, man. How am I going to trust? How am I going to trust you again? Prove to me that you're worthy. I said you were going to be the rock, prove to me. He doesn't say any of that, does he? What does he say to him? He says what's most important to him. He says, do you love me? Think of all that was going on in Peter's mind. Think of all that Peter thought he was going to say to him. What does he say to him? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you know what matters the most to the Lord? 
do you love me? It's not what will you do for me? Do you love me? Do you know God passionately loves you? And he sent his son for you that you might be made new. And God took your sin and your shame to the cross, to the grave, and rose again so that you might have new life. And in order to be free of the old shame, to have hope and healing, hope for your future and healing for your past, it begins with receiving the salvation that comes from him. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that believe in your heart part that's the harder one because it's easy to confess with your mouth. People confess things with their mouth all the time they don't believe. It's much harder to believe in your heart at the core of who you are. It's not believe in your heart that you can prove something. It's believe in your heart that he is Lord, that he has saved you. And the beautiful thing is that when you do that, it begins to release the chains of the old because you're stepping into the new. You're entering into a relationship of freedom. See, what what happens is as you receive the love of God, you in turn begin to love him, and you're in this mutual relationship of freedom and, and, and love and walking with the Lord. And the reason I say freedom is because in 1 John, the writer tells us that perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with judgment. But he says there is not the judgment in the Lord because the blood of Jesus has covered you. He has taken the judgment, the score, and the wrath of God upon himself. And he has given you new life. He has given me new life. And so there is no fear. There's no fear in that relationship. There's no fear for the future. You can step into the future without fear when you walk with the love that casts out all fear the love of Jesus Christ your future is secured in the love of Jesus verse 15 he says when they finished breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter I just want to read this again Simon son of John do you love me more than these he said to him yes Lord you know that I love you he said feed my lambs he said to him a second time Simon son of John do you love me he said to him yes Lord you know that I love you he said to him tend my sheep He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. If you're curious about this interaction, let me tell you what's happening here is that Jesus is restoring Peter. That Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus is now affirming Peter three times. He doesn't just affirm him twice. He affirms him three times. He fully and completely restores him. Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, then walk in where I've called you. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes. Yes, I love you, Lord. Be restored to the purpose on your life. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. And Peter recognizes, he knows. (laughs) He knows that I denied him. And it hurts. And he feels that pain of his shame. And in the moment, Jesus says, listen, I have taken that. It was one of the things I've already taken to the cross. I've taken your shame. Be healed. Be restored. I didn't create you to live in shame. I created you on purpose for a purpose. Hear me today. God did not create you to live in shame. He created you on purpose for a purpose. And each time God looks at you and says, be restored, be restored, be restored. Yes, what about my shame? Be restored. For every time you feel like you have failed, God looks at you and says, be restored, be renewed. 
See, your future is not directed by your past. Your future is directed by his perfect word. If you're writing notes, write this down. Your future is directed by his perfect word. Your future is directed by his perfect word. Peter went back to what he was comfortable with, right? He went back to his old life. Shame kind of led him there in this moment. He's floating in many ways. He doesn't have the boldness that he once had. But Peter wasn't meant to stay there. Jesus had a great call and purpose on Peter's life. He said, I called you to great things. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. And so in this moment, Jesus is speaking to Peter and saying, listen, if you love me, trust me. Trust that I can restore you. Trust that the mantle I have called and given you, I can restore you too. Stop hiding. Stop walking around in shame. Receive healing and move into the future. See, many of you will be tempted today to define your future based off past shame. You might say, I've made too many mistakes. I can't be called. Calling is something that pastors talk about. That's for people in ministry. That's not for messy people like me. That's not for people like me who have doubts on like Tuesday about God's support. If I have doubts, that must mean I don't have a calling on my life. If I have difficulty, if I'm struggling, if, I have a, if I'm in a, in a desert season, it, it must mean that, that, that God doesn't have a purpose or I missed it or I blew it or I made a mistake. And just hear me say, no, God has put a call on your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ that is not altered by your past or your present. Jesus spoke over his disciples, and if you were a follower of Christ, you're one of them as well. And here's what he spoke. He gave you a calling on your life. You ready for it? Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Look at that. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. This is God's call on your life if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Can I just encourage you? Stop hiding in the background with your shame. Stop disqualifying yourself. Stop putting labels on yourself. Do you love Jesus? Yes, I love him. Then follow his word. But I'm imperfect. Yeah, I know. He knows. That's why he died. Right? <laughs> like, he's fully aware. You don't have to disqualify yourself because of your imperfection. He is brutally aware firsthand of human brokenness, right? Yeah, but what about what I did in the past? Do you love Jesus? Yeah. Then follow his word. What, what, about, what about the mistakes I've made? What about what people have put over? What about, what about my insecurities? What about my struggles? What about my battles? Do you love Jesus? Has he saved you? Yeah. Then follow his word for your life. So I don't know if I have strength for that. The Great Commission is just that it's great. And I don't know if my strength is great. I just want to encourage you. The thing that makes a relationship with Jesus so beautiful is how profoundly good it is for you. See, every, every other uh, religion is about attainment. I, I said a world religion is a comparative religion. It's fascinating to me that every other world religion is about attainment as some, kind of, some form of alignment that it leads to elevation, where you can elevate out of suffering and then meet God in some form. You elevate above uh, circumstance and meet God, even some sense of nirvana or, or, or other forms. You begin to elevate beyond some para, paradise-type state where you move beyond suffering. What I love about Jesus is rather than the rest of the, the, world, of the world and the false gods 
gods and say, you must rise above to meet God. God actually steps down to meet with you. This is the beautiful thing about Jesus, and I hope you follow this. If you zoned out, just check in now, and then in three seconds you can zone out again. But I want you to hear this this morning. <laughs> Jesus steps down into your suffering to be with you because he loves you. So many false gods are built on the premise of creating this image where you must attain to go meet with them and their perfection. And Jesus steps down and shows us the scars in his hand. Why does Jesus keep the scars in his hand? To step down and show you that he has also suffered. It is not foreign to him. Your suffering is not foreign to him. Your suffering is not forgotten by him. He has suffered and he walks with you. This is the beautiful thing of Jesus Christ. He steps down to be with you. It's not hoping that in the future you will raise up and attain to be with him. He's with you right now. Wherever you are, he's with you. Verse 18 it says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted. It says, Peter, when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. So this he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Did you notice that? Follow me. After saying this, he says, says, listen, Peter, be restored, be restored, be restored. And then what does he say? He says, follow me. And we know from the next scripture that he gets up and leaves. Like, he doesn't mean figuratively follow me. He gets up, he's literally like, follow me and leaves. And Peter's like, oh, okay, go on, right? Like, he's, he goes. He's just doing something. And he's like, go, come with me, follow me. I love this. Jesus does not love us, restore us, and then just send us into nothingness, right? Like, good luck, man. Don't fail again. Right? I, don't know, I don't know how many fish breakfasts I'm going to cook, but don't fail again. I want to do this, right? Good luck. That's not how God operates. He says, follow me. Follow me. God walks with Peter. The presence of God goes with Peter, goes before Peter, and he says, follow me. Follow my leading. Here's the beautiful thing. If you're you're writing notes, write this down. Last thing I'm going to give you. Our future is empowered by the presence of God. Hear me. Our future is empowered by the presence of God. It's secured in his love, but it is empowered by his presence. It was never God's plan that you would face the future alone. It was never God's plan that you would face the future alone. And he says, stop worrying about what's ahead. Follow me. As you know, in in the Lord's Prayer, it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not the valley of death. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, meaning not the substance of it, but the shadows of it, the things that, that that would present a shadow. But I walk through with the substance of God's presence. So I will not fear. Though there are things around me, as I take my eyes off, I see the reflected shadows of the things that would come against me and the death. But I'm not subject to that death because I walk with the good shepherd of the life that he leads. The, the problem is if we get ahead of the shepherd. We say, God, where are you? And he's like, back here. Follow me. Follow. <laughs> God, where are you leading? I'll let you know. Follow me. Follow me. So stop worrying about everything else. <laughs> Fix your eyes on me. And I love this moment in verse 20. If you're with me, just, just 
this part is amazing to me. I find Christ to be fantastic. And this part's great. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So he's, he, Jesus says, follow me. He gets up and he goes. Peter follows him. And then he turns and sees John following him, like third wheeling their intimate restorative moments, right? <laughs> he sees John following him. And Peter is, mind what has just happened. He's concerned about John. And he said, Lord, uh, it says, uh, he saw them following the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who's it that's going to betray you? So this is John. It says, verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to the Lord, or he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me, exclamation mark. Does your Bible have an exclamation mark? My Bible had an exclamation mark in it. You follow me. I love this moment. This teaching moment where, like, Peter's still Peter. I love that because I'm still me, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and he said, Peter sees him following, and he says, Jesus, what about this guy? I mean, he already taken the moniker of the disciple whom Jesus loves, right? What, what about him? What's he going to do? And Jesus is like, <laughs> I love this response. Like, dude, why are you worried about him? <laughs> you got enough to worry about yourself, man. Like, you just had the most awkward fish breakfast, and yet amazing fish breakfast, probably in the history of fish breakfasts. Breakfast eye, whatever the plural of breakfasts is. Brexfy, whatever it is. He says, you got enough to worry about yourself. And this is indicative of Peter and indicative of us. When Peter keeps his eyes on Jesus, powerful things happen in his life. When Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and places them on the shadows in the valley... He falls. Can I encourage you? You know, one of, the, one of the ways to be most fearful about the future is to begin to take your eyes off the direction of Christ and begin to live in a comparison to others. What if I don't do enough as the others? What if I, what if I never attain enough, achieve enough, and bless enough? Why is God doing this over here and not that here? Why is God leading like that over there but not that here? Isn't it crazy how comparison can begin to distract us from the leading and direction of God. And, and Jesus is like, Peter, why, man, why do you care? I said, I'm building my church on the rock. Stop living in this comparison space and just follow the leading. He says, you don't need to worry. Church, hear me. You don't need to worry about how God is leading someone else. Just follow him. Just follow him. In fact, band, you guys can come up. What I love about this is God gives us the great commission. Jesus gives the great commission to his disciples. He says, go to all the earth. He gives it to you. He says, preach the gospel. Share the truth. Share the gospel, right? Share the good news. Baptize people. Teach them. Guide them. Instruct them. But for you and I, what I, what I find so amazing is he doesn't send us out in that future by ourselves. He secures us with his presence. And in Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know what he's saying there, right? Hey, that great commission I told you to go to all the earth, I'm not expecting you to do that by your own power. <laughs> that would be crazy, right? He's saying, 
I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And I love this, that it's not like he's giving some people, so he's like, he's like, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to be with you, to go with you, to walk with you, the presence. I'm not sending you into the future unknown. I'm not sending you into the future of parenthood unknown. I'm not sending you into the next day of your job unknown and unsupported and uncommissioned and unanointed. He says, I'm sending you with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what you're going to face the next day in your future, the next moment. I, there is no way any of us can be 100% certain of that. I can't be certain of what you'll face tomorrow. I can't be certain of what you'll face next week. But there is only one thing I can be 100% confident of. Only one thing I can be 100% confident of. And it's that if you walk with Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, your presence will all, or your future will always have his presence. That when you walk with Jesus Christ, when you follow his leading, directed and guided by the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, that you will always have his presence. You will have the peace that comes from him. You will have the power of his presence. The power of his presence. Think about that for a second. The God who heals and restores the power of his presence on your life. You will have the strength that his presence uh, supplies. You will have the light that it gives. I think so often we try to go into the future without the presence of God. And can I just tell you, he's here with you. And he's inviting you to follow him. Say, be led by me. You won't need to fear when you walk with the Holy Spirit. Because you walk with the perfect love that casts out fear. You walk with the anointing that comes through him. Did you know you're anointed today? If you have the Holy Spirit, you have the anointing of God over your life. We believe so, so many low things about ourselves, so many small possibilities, but you have the anointing of God on your life. You have the anointing of God on your life. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon your life. The question is, like Peter, will you allow Christ and will you receive and begin to walk in the hope for your future and healing for your past? Many of us, you'll know what's true, but you will not release your heart to allow God to do that. But today he's speaking to you and he's saying, I got hope for your future and healing for your past. The question is, will you trust him and receive that today and pray, Holy Spirit, fall afresh upon me and restore and renew me that I might have hope for the future and healing for the past. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're in this place, in fact, just, just bow your head and close your eyes. And you're here, and, and like Peter, maybe you have some shame and you feel like you have some failures and missteps, and you just long for the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart in this moment and renew you. Like you picture that moment on the beach and what that would have been like for the presence of God and Jesus Christ in that moment to restore. And you're like, man, that's what I want. I need to be renewed. I need hope for the future. I need healing for the past. And so you're here this morning and you're just willing to be bold enough to say, Jesus, I trust you. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would lead me, fall afresh on me in this moment and direct me and lead me. If that's you, if that's you this morning, and you want to be and need to be renewed by the Lord. And you're saying, Holy Spirit, just fall afresh upon me. 
Would you just lift your hands with me? I want to pray over you today. Holy Spirit, fall afresh upon me. Just leave them raised at this moment. I just pray over your life right now. And as I pray, I just I invite you even right now just to begin to speak to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not an addition. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. He is with you. Begin to speak to Him and invite Him. Say, Holy Spirit, I just open up my heart. I surrender my heart to you. Bring healing. I ask for your healing, Lord, this morning. I ask for your renewal this morning. He loves that request. I ask for your renewal this morning. Maybe some of you, it's just like, I surrender my past shame. I know you've died for it, God, but I struggle to hold on to it. But I surrender it. With my hands are as I surrender it to you, God. I give it to you. I give it all to you, mighty God. Jesus, I thank you that you died for our sins and rose again into new life and that you invited us into new life and that you gave us your Holy Spirit that when you ascended, you said, I'm sending another, not a lesser. I'm sending another. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to dwell with you, to go with you. And so I pray right now in this place, hope and healing by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray a fresh anointing right now by the power of the Holy Spirit over your life, over your heart. I pray an outpouring over you right now that you would right now receive the hope of Jesus Christ that you would receive the healing by the power of the Holy Spirit of past shame of past failures of past even identities that have been placed upon you. We pray healing in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit for the weary hearted, for the discouraged, for the exhausted. I pray a fresh outpouring by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning over your life. Just take a moment wherever you are. Just begin to invite him. Say, Holy Spirit, fall afresh upon me this morning. Fall afresh right now. Begin to invite him. Begin to seek him in this morning. He's with you. He's with you. Move afresh upon me, God. favorite moments in scripture and I know time but I just feel like I want to pray for you today and I'd be honored to pray with you today one of my favorite moments of scripture is in Acts when the believers who are full of the Holy Spirit they have the Holy Spirit they've seen God move 
One of my favorite moments is when they are discouraged at what is happening in their lives. They gather together and they pray for boldness. Not like for human boldness, not for manufactured hype. They pray for boldness. They pray, God, would, would you move? And what I love is they, they all have the Holy Spirit, and yet it says in this moment that the Holy Spirit falls upon them and moves as it shakes the house, and they're filled. I love that the Holy Spirit who is with you in moments of weariness will fall afresh and encourage and renew a weary spirit supernaturally and, I, and I've felt this in both services and so we, we did it in person I want to do it even right now that if you're here today and you have a weariness in your spirit you have a weariness in your spirit hear me God does not blame you for being weary he does not judge you for being tired he says come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest he celebrates you coming to him. So if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm weary today. I'm going to invite you to do something. And for some, it might be uncomfortable, but I want to encourage you to take a step this morning because I would love to pray with you before we close. If you're here today and you're saying, I'm, I just, I have a weariness and I, I long to be renewed, just like a fresh stream of life over, over me and you want to be renewed, I'm just going to invite you, come forward. I want to pray for you this morning. You're saying, I have a weariness, and I'm praying for God to renew me and encourage me and restore me. Yeah, just, just come right up. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Yeah, come, come on in. I want, to, I want to literally pray for you, so come on all the way in. Yeah, there we go. Kind of group in. There we go. Awesome, awesome. you do this with me would you just kind of lift your palms up just in a, in a posture of openness like receiving like something's going to be placed in your hands again there's no like special hand motions i know we're pentecostals so you're expecting there to be but there's no special hand motions this is just very simply to put your posture there's something really cool that happens when we align our posture with the intent of our heart it kind of just focuses us for a moment so i just want you to be focused on on receiving just a refreshing anointing from the lord this morning and as we pray if you're here would you just reach your hands to them in just a moment as we pray over them but I want to pray over you and I invite you as I pray and our staff prays or anybody if you want to be on the staff you can come up and pray whatever you want we're just going to pray a fresh anointing upon you and I encourage you to really truly receive it in your heart the thing I've noticed first services as we prayed is people fight against receiving and allowing themselves to receive the blessing of God for their life like it's for you it's for you. It's not for like someone else and you. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. I know you came up to pray for people, but it's still for you. Let me pray for you this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray a fresh anointing in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that you say, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See that I'm lowly in spirit. Jesus welcomes you in this moment, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, renews you with his grace and his goodness. I pray a wellspring of life stirring up in the name of Jesus, not by natural means, but supernaturally. I pray an overflowing anointing upon your life right now 
now by the Holy Spirit, a fresh anointing. If you're here in this room and you're not up front, would you build the faith this morning in agreement that we pray a fresh outpouring in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We speak to the dry places and we pray that they would be flooded with your spirit and saturated by you. We, we speak to the places of weariness and we pray life by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray more in the name of Jesus, a fresh anointing, a double portion in the name of Jesus, a fresh anointing, a fresh anointing in the name of Jesus. Just begin to lift them up this morning. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.